Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, managing directors Ben Munn and Rebecca Simonic from JLL discuss the future of flexible space. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the What's Next podcast at Cornet. Uh, ben Munn speaking. I'm the leader of flexible space at JLL. I've got 20 years of experience in workplace and flexible space market and have joined JLL to really lead our strategy development around uh, flex and the future uh, it will play within the industry. And I'm joined today by Rebecca. Yeah, thank you, Ben. This is Rebecca Simonic on the JLL team as well. Really exciting to talk to you about one of the, the biggest trends and topics affecting our industry here, flexible space. But before we go any further, Ben, can we just kind of level set here? How would you define flexible space or flex space for short? Is it the same as co-working? Let's sort of ground on our definition of flexible space to start. I thought you were going to make it easy for me at the beginning. Um, flexible space is a pretty broad concept now. What's exciting for us and what we're seeing in the market is that uh, there is a spectrum of choice evolving within flex space. So whereas... 10 years ago, we, when we talked flex space, we would really just be talking about serviced office space with a little bit of co-working. What we've seen over the last decade is co-working really overtake uh, serviced offices or exec uh, suites as, as a term to encompass different um, flexible spaces provided by the likes of IWG, WeWork, and, and other companies like that. But then we're seeing a lot more models evolve beyond that so we have managed offices we have landlords providing their own space of course occupiers are flexing their own workspace so that's what i mean when i say there's a a spectrum of choice that we haven't seen you've got space available to be bought in different models from different parties and we're only seeing more of that evolve right now yeah so that's a great lead into my next question is So where do you see the future of flexible space going? Do you see this spectrum getting even wider in the future? Absolutely. Uh, Flexible space will encompass everything from a drop-in on-demand opportunity that someone can access through an app to find a workspace for an hour uh, or to use a meeting room for a few hours and bring together uh, a few different people in, in one place uh, uh, to do that in a more fluid way than they used to, up to um, several years of commitment for space from, from an occupier that can be made in different ways. So the level of choice, I think, will only increase. The way that customers are beginning to think about choice within the market and their buying decisions is changing as well. So we're seeing this gap that uh, needed to be bridged, if you like, between how does Flex actually support my workforce and how much of a solution it can be um, closed from where it used to be. It used to be that actually it can't be that much of a solution because it's really only applicable for swing space or project space or sales teams to this idea now that actually I don't need to own all of the different elements myself. I, I can just buy time, the time I need for the number of people I need in in the space that we like or we think is right for our business. Um, And 
at a scale as well that, that wasn't previously available. So that is having a real impact then on players in the market and what they're coming to provide um, those occupiers. That's why investors and landlords are really getting stuck in now and thinking about what role they should play um, in the market. And there, there's, there's an underlying piece to this as well, which I don't think we should ignore, which is the simplicity of the transaction. Uh, and the appeal of being able to sign a, con a relatively simple contract for the use of space uh, on a fixed cost um, that you can then use either in various places or as a, as a construct you can use again and again and again. It means you don't necessarily have to go internally asking for capital, which can be a real pain. And so again, the, the expectation, the customer expectation has evolved to the point where people are now saying, well, why, why shouldn't I buy a space like this? Not necessarily for the entire portfolio. I don't think we're going to see large HQ deals going away or the development of uh, bespoke buildings uh, or workspaces for, for companies. But mm -hmm. certainly, JLL research points to 30% of um, workspaces being procured or delivered on a flexible basis uh, by 2030. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if actually it exceeded that proportion as you see this spectrum of choice continue to increase. Yeah. So going back to that stat, that's a pretty bold uh, statement that we think 30% of the off of all kind of office space will be consumed flexibly by 2030. What are some of the market fundamentals and uh, and sentiments that might need to continue to change to drive that growth in the next 10 years? So I think we will need to see a very robust set of players in the market, the, mm -hmm. the, the, what we often refer to as the third-party operators. So uh, you look at Convene, IWG, Industrious, etc. Um, Notel with their model, obviously WeWork. Uh, and uh, whether we talk about them much today or not will be interesting. Um, but, but we do need a, a robust set of uh, players in that space who have differentiated offers uh, and approaching the market in, in a different way. And, and at the moment, they tend to be regionally based. Um, so really only a couple of global uh, players and, and even the, you know, WeWork, when you look at them, they're, they're really a global cities player. Um, so then you get down into regional providers of space. You have great companies like Serendipity Labs in the US. You have the office group in the UK beginning to expand in Europe. So there's a really varied um, third-party um, operator market. We need that to be robust, and I think that we need to see more players in there establish more of a global perspective. Um, uh, there needs to be more trust of the underlying commercial model that, that they implement. Um, so that the market itself, and, and by that I mean the, uh, the finance market as much as the real estate market, trusts that these are viable um, models through which people can deliver uh, returns on investment, um, but also that there's a, a, a long-term demand for. Um, that brings me on to another aspect which I think the, the, the real estate market needs to get its head around, which is valuations. Um, and so uh, how you value the income from and the performance of a um, flexible workspace in relation to the overall asset valuation is going to be key for continued investment into uh, this market. So we're seeing and we're certainly doing a lot of work um, on that. We've got a perspective on how that, um, how that model should work. But 
that is a really important fundamental piece of, of how, this, how this will continue to play. So, so those are the things that the market needs. Um, the customers also, I think, will continue to evolve their expectations, their demands of the market, uh, as the way that people work continues to evolve and uh, expectations from both the workforce and, and the, uh, the employer uh, develop. I think we will see an increase in demand for uh, more mobile working. We've mm -hmm. been talking about that for as long as I've been in real estate, we've been talking about uh, this idea that there will be a more fluid use of real estate. Mm -hmm. um, but the opportunity is absolutely there. And as we see an increase in transparency, availability of data, availability of choice, it becomes a reality. It becomes a real option for people that um, they don't have to come to the same place all the time. Um, and that they can trust that they're going to have a good experience of getting work done um, in a space that isn't uh, necessarily managed uh, by their own their own company. Um, so, so that's one piece of the customer expectation uh, model. The other, the other is just that as companies continue to use these models and buy in this way, it will allow them to look at how they match supply and demand in, in a more fluent way than they've been able to in the past. The, the, the structure of the real estate industry really, and the way that capital particularly gets applied in it, has not been friendly um, to, the, to the end user. Uh, these models actually give them far more flexibility, if you'll excuse the use of the word, but you know, it, it, it really does give them more flexibility. That means that they can look at supply and demand differently, as in when do they need to turn on supply, when do they really need to nail their demand um, planning down. Um, and it also uh, therefore allows them to address that ever-present issue which we've you know, reported on in the past uh, through our occupancy management group, uh, uh, that most corporate office space is significantly underutilized. 60% right. or something, I think, yep. um, uh, we typically look at underutilization uh, of space. And so um, that is a lot of cost to carry for, um, for corporates. So um, the, that, that, that piece around supply, demand, and as I mentioned earlier, the scale now that you can acquire uh, or, or you can buy at, if you like, within the market, I think absolutely needs to be underpinned. So, so one of the trends we've seen, and we as, a, we as an industry really can thank WeWork for this one, is that we are seeing significantly large pieces of real estate being given over to um, Flex mm -hmm. uh, and, and being a, a available on the market in that sim simple procurement and buying uh, structure, which then means it becomes more of a relevant play for occupiers. So a few years ago, you wouldn't get, uh, for instance, IBM putting 500 people right. into, a, into a flex space. It, it was, if, if it did happen, and it did happen occasionally, mm -hmm. it, was, it was not the norm. Right. More and more, it's becoming the norm. And we're seeing occupiers choose to buy in this way for, um, for deals that would traditionally look like a straightforward lease and self-delivery project. And we're seeing customers choose not to do that. Uh, which for me is incredibly exciting. You know, Ben, you, you brought up some of the flexible space operators and how some of them have just been growing at breakneck speeds. Um, we, you know, we, I don't think we can have a conversation about flexible space without addressing you know, one of the, all of the recent headlines about one of the world's largest flexible space operators taking a step back from planes to 
to continue to grow and grow public. Um, do you see that this being a kind of sort of indicator of the global appetite for flexible space, or do you just feel like flexible space is going to continue to grow despite the the kind of step back from one of the the operators in recent turn recent days? It's a it's a great question, and it's one that uh, we're being asked a lot, unsurprisingly. So. I would start with the, the underlying market fundamentals. We are fortunate that broadly the economy is in a good place. So where we've seen, for instance, IWG be challenged in the past um, with a uh, when the bottom fell out of the dot-com right. market, right? That really drove, a, uh, that was a significant challenge for them. Um, we're not in that place now. Th this is about uh, really a market perception of value and the application of capital against that value that has caused challenges for uh, WeWork. Um, this is not about demand not being there. We, we know, we believe there is absolutely a profitable, uh, sustainable business at the heart of, of what they do. Um, and we see demand day in, day out. We see it from investors, we see it from occupiers. One, one of the, I suppose, the, the most telling signs for me is that we are having more and more conversations with investors who want to come into this space um, that have maybe accelerated their thinking because of the headlines, but it is very much around um, participating, not stepping back. So this is very much about one company and, and what's happening there, and, and we'll obviously all be watching with interest to see uh, how how this plays out over the, over the coming months, but it's not about a fundamental change in the market appetite for flex. Um, if anything, I think it will accelerate uh, the the um, kind of entry into the market mm -hmm. of others, uh, and it provides you know will provide opportunities for investors and and, and operators and occupiers to to think again about. Uh, their strategy and, and how they apply it. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a challenging time for for WeWork. You know, we we absolutely hope that they, you know, get through this and um, and succeed. Um, but it's not a it, it's not a signal that the flex market is is losing steam. Got it. You know, one of the things that you just mentioned was some of the investors that are, or owners of assets, right, who are looking at flexible space and creating more flexibility within their assets and their broader portfolio strategies. What are some of the ways that investors are looking at flexible space um, and creating more flexibility across their assets and portfolios? Um, that is a gloriously broad question <laughs> <laughs> which I will I will attempt to answer uh, the the starting point is to say that that every investor is different and is looking for different to achieve different things with their assets right so they their their approach and attitude towards flexible space will will vary dependent yeah. on what they need the, their their asset to do in terms of either income performance or uh, in terms of valuation and so on. However, that said, um, the vast majority of investors are looking to reap the benefits and meet the customer demand mm -hmm. for flexible space. The exciting thing for them uh, and the challenging thing for them in some ways is that, is that they now see many different routes through which they can do that. So 
goes back to your spectrum of choice comment, exactly. right? Exactly. So that's, yeah, precisely. That spectrum of choice is there for the customer, the end user, as it is for the investor. Mm -hmm. So I can lease space to an operator. That's what we've tended to see. That's what we've always done. Um, I can partner with an operator or under a management agreement. Yep. I can develop my own offer in the market, which we're seeing some of the investors doing, and I can do a kind of variation on, on all those themes. Right. Um, and so what, what a lot of those companies are asking us to help them do is figure out which one they should do, how does that apply, what impact, I, I, I go back to valuations again, right? So some of the choices that they make are driven by the value that they need to have within within the asset now at the moment the market generally values a lease over an operating business operating flex business and so when you're looking at larger chunks of space you are seeing people still prefer um, in general to take a lease uh, from an operator but now and again highlighted by what's going on in in you know the headlines right now there there is an understanding i think uh, greater than ever before from the investors that really that lease only is a, is only as valuable as the operating business uh, under the lease right. um, and so the the performance of that is getting more and more attention is playing a bigger role in valuation um, and therefore that is having the knock-on effect of more investors saying, well, wait a minute, maybe there's an upside here for us to mm -hmm. uh, participate in. Maybe those leases don't have the covenant strength that actually we kind of thought they might. And maybe there's a different way um, to skin this cat. So, so I would say those that have portfolios are looking at whether there is value in the network of the mm -hmm. portfolio from a flex perspective. Um, those that have uh, single assets, again, are looking at the position in the market and saying, yep. is, there, is there market demand um, specifically in the area uh, that that building is that isn't being met, that goes unmet? Do we have vacancy that we could actually um, get ourselves out of by offering a different uh, product to, to, the, to the market? So um, a, a broad set of responses but I've yet to uh, meet an investor that isn't thinking about it and doesn't want to at least have a position uh, on flex space. Yeah. Pretty great uh, detailed answer for a very broad question. Thank you, Ben. Um, so I'm looking around the room here and we're at the Cornet Global Summit and we've got thousands of corporate real estate executives and teams from around the world here. So I've got I've to flip the question as well from the occupier perspective. What are corporate real estate teams doing around flexible space and what should they be thinking about in terms of best practices for applying the concepts of flexibility, experience, choice um, to, their, to their portfolios and, and their workplaces to help attract and retain talent in their organization? Um, another nicely broad, <laughs> another another very broad question that touches on pretty much everything that they should be thinking about anyway, right? Irres irrespective of flex, um, but but I th I think that's you know it's a it, it's a really it's a really interesting question in that you point to the fact that flex sits almost at the nexus of all of these different things exactly. for an occupier, right? So you've got the experience piece, you've got this customer demand. It's a bit like the way that companies adopted the iPhone and, and the iPhone kind of drove out, you know, to some degree, Nokia and BlackBerry from a corporate perspective because 
the customer wanted the iPhone. And, and what we're seeing is that actually the end user, there's a bit of that kind of grassroots uh, thing here. The employees um, uh, want to have a better experience at work. Uh, and now, mm -hmm. the, the great thing for me, one of the, the, the great democratizing things of Flex is that there is an offer in the market now that says actually you should be able to participate in that kind of experience and you don't have to take on the entire cost yourself. So if you're, in, if you're a small business, why shouldn't you have great meeting space, amenity space, event space, experience? Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay for it all individually. We can aggregate that cost and, uh, and, and you can buy into, into a part of it. So, um, so yeah, so you've got that, that experience side, I think, has been driven home. That, that then changes, right, the corporate real estate's view of who should be deciding what design mm -hmm. uh, and experience our customers have. It's interesting to see them outsourcing some of that to these providers. In the past, again, 10 years ago, that didn't happen, not at scale. You wouldn't hand over your employee experience to, um, to a third party that, that actually designed that experience. You might have a third party service delivery partner like a JLL or, uh, or others that would implement your design, but to actually get to this commoditized place where um, these, these, these companies are saying, here's what good really looks like. Mm -hmm. you, should, you should come and buy this. Uh, you should come and buy it from us. So, so that then forces corporate real estate, I think over time, maybe not so much now, to look at their supply chain and look at their internal uh, provision of capabilities to say, actually, do, how much of that do we need? So um, you then have, as uh, the other piece then is, how many different areas of my demand can I solve through this model and should I solve through mm -hmm. this model? So I think the, 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 the overarching thing I would say is that corporate real estate occupiers are already, and if they're not, should be fundamentally revisiting their portfolio strategies, mm -hmm. looking at how they match supply and demand, looking at what liabilities they should be taking on versus outsourcing to, um, to other providers in the market. And there, there aren't many that aren't thinking that way, but, uh, but I think there's still a challenge to say, okay, what does that actually mean for us? Because you have an awful lot of things that the market has to provide for a corporate real estate um, group and, and a corporate itself to buy confidently mm -hmm. in this market, whether we talk about the flex market or otherwise, right? So uh, whose, whose security is it? Whose data is it? Um, do I have the duty of, am I providing the duty of care to my mm -hmm. employees that I need to? And I think those are some of the challenges that we're actually seeing right now. So corporate real estate uh, teams are, um, you know, working with us and others to say, okay, how do I create a platform that better matches that supply and demand that, that gives the um, experience that we need that meets our corporate requirements around data security, physical security, um, and, and other aspects of the um, employee experience and, uh, and their ability to work. So that can be looking at uh, the MSAs that get mm -hmm. put in place. It can look at uh, kind of putting a framework around their portfolio to say these are the kinds of functions or these are the kinds of offices that we might consider moving into flex. I think you go back to an earlier question that you asked about how is this all going to develop. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm incredibly optimistic wearing a, wearing a flex hat, 
I would say that the market will solve some of those challenges for corporates. We will see more providers come in with an understanding of what's needed to deliver for um, corporate customers, not just smaller customers, and we're seeing that adoption happen now. And you will see players like JLL uh, and others be the catalyst for a platform play that will allow corporates to outsource in a way that they have never done before and was not possible before uh, their uh, procurement and delivery of, of workspace. And I, I, I think over the next five years, that is what we will see begin to happen at, at a scale we haven't seen before. Great, thanks Ben. Um, so if I'm a you know, corporate real estate team interested in learning more about flexible space or hearing more about the details that you just outlined around kind of navigating these flexible space waters and figuring out the right strategy for me, what do you recommend that they do? Well, obviously, we, we, this is not a sales pitch, right? So, uh, uh, so I, can't, I can't make that recommendation, but obviously anyone with any sense would come and talk to us about it. <laughs> uh, but other, other providers are available in the market. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, th I, th I think um, as, as is already happening, right, the, uh, there, are, there are lots of things to think about. You, you need the right experience at hand to understand the ramifications of some of those uh, decisions uh, to understand how you answer some of the questions that you've got um, and to really come up with a plan that's uh, that's right for your business uh, that supports what they're, they're trying to achieve whether you're an occupier or, or an investor uh, and and it won't surprise anyone listening uh, to, to hear that I would recommend getting in touch with an expert uh, to help you through that process sure. and, uh, and and obviously JLL Flex is here to help uh, with that um, but yeah and I, I think um, and I, I, I think this is happening. I mean, we, we see this all the time. Uh, corporate real estate teams are already well, you know, they're ahead of the game. They're thinking about this. Um, there, there, is a, there is an appetite for the conversation within the business that I think has been, I hope, has been refreshing and positive for a lot of our corporate real estate customers um, because that experience, that recruitment retention, the, the importance that is now... Uh, I suppose, held around um, how do we support our, our employees be more productive and how do we make more people want to be our employees and how do we hang on to them? You know, that this is a really meaningful uh, part of the, of the conversation to have. Perfect. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Ben. Oh, I loved it. We should do this again. <laughs> this concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.